It's with joy that I greet you on this day of special celebration for our church, our patronal feast, the Feast of St. Mary the Virgin. One of the nice things about life and about the church, too, is that we sort of get into our routine and then every now and then something comes along and, and throws a little bit of spice and interest into things. And so these wonderful feast days are sort of the, the spice, if you will, of our church life. And we have, if you've noticed, changed from our regular green color this time of year to the beautiful Marian blue that we have uh, for special occasions such as this to honor Our Lady, our patron. And this feast is one that uh, has an unusual sort of uh, uh, flair to it in that uh, it's a feast around the going home of Mary to her heavenly home, the falling asleep of Mary in the uh, Orthodox tradition. Of course, we Anglicans are somewhere in the middle there. Um, We have uh, this collect, though, that we prayed at the beginning of our service today where it says, O God, you have taken to yourself the Virgin Mary. So even in uh, in our Anglican theology, we celebrate this feast as Mary's heavenly homecoming, her joyous reunification with her son, who she lost uh, to the cross, but then witnessed his resurrection and lived, presumably, with his beloved disciple John for the rest of her life. See, this is one of the uh, somewhat frustrating parts about uh, coloring in the stories of the scriptures, because Um, There's a whole lot in there, but what there's not a whole lot of is detail about people's lives, personal lives. So, for example, we know that we know about Mary's lineage. We know that she was chosen by God to be the bearer of his eternal word. We know that she gave birth to Jesus in Bethlehem in a manger. We know several things like that. The last thing we know, though, is that She stood by his cross with St. John as he died. And as some of Jesus' last words were instructions to both of them, Son, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. And scripture tells us that from that moment on, John took her into his home and cared for her. But that's it. And she's mentioned in the resurrection accounts, of course. We don't know what the rest of her life was like. Now, I'm not one to dig into too deeply into the historical Jesus. You know, some people get really hung up on the, the, uh, the historical details of him and lose a, a sight of more theologically important uh, details. But think about his age. It is said, and we don't know exactly, but it is said that Jesus was 33 at the time of his crucifixion. Well, uh, Mary, if she was like most girls, uh, women at that time, gave birth very young in life, so possibly age 15. So if that's the case, at the time of her son's death, she was only in her late 40s. And as I am now in my mid-40s, Late 40s seems very young to me now. A few years ago, if you'd asked, I would have thought she was quite old. But, uh, but so she was a young woman at the time of her son's death. And, of course, we don't know how long she lived, but 
she could have lived quite a lot longer, couldn't she? And so she goes and spends this however long lifespan that she has after her son's ascension into heaven in the care of St. John. And you can still go to the house today in Ephesus in Turkey where uh, it is said that she lived. And many pilgrims make uh, trips there to see and to pray at that, that holy house. And depending on what uh, story you hear, uh, the pious legends, in one, uh, the, at the time of Mary's death, she was surrounded by all of the disciples and in their presence gave up her spirit. Now, the, the Orthodox Church has a feast calls this feast the Dormition of Mary, or the going to sleep of Mary. And of course, in the Roman Catholic Church, it is the feast of the Assumption of Mary, which some people, uh, uh, you know, grouse about a little bit, because it's not exactly biblical, and it was only really promulgated in the last century or so. However, devotion to this event in Mary's life goes back far, far into the reaches of Christian history, and you only have to look at uh, art to, to, uh, to prove that. One of my favorite images of the Assumption of Mary is this wonderful Baroque altarpiece at the Cathedral of Chartres in France, and this immense marble carving of clouds and cherubs and Mary's going up. The ironic thing is, the funny thing is, the thing is so heavy that they had to build a massive stone column underneath to support her as she ascended. So I think there's a wonderful metaphor in that for the human desire to sort of witness and be part of and to understand the divine, yet still being, uh, still being sort of shackled by our mortal bodies and earth and the dimension that we can understand here. And this wonderful uh, gospel reading that we have to go along with the story of Mary's uh, feast day today is not a typical gospel story, is it? Normally when we uh, uh, have our gospel procession and uh, hear the, the, the reading, it's, it's a story about something, about somebody did this, somebody did that, Jesus walked here, he went across the lake, he said this, he healed that person. This isn't a linear narrative story. It's a song. There are words to a song. And Mary, of course, being a devout Jew, would have understood that and they would have been part of that culture. So if you read this and then go back and read the psalm from today, and you can see that the structure of the two are very similar. They're both examples of ancient Hebrew poetry. And this song, these words have echoed across time and across cultures. And it is probably one of the most sung songs ever. In fact, we just sang it ourselves. The, the uh, gospel hymn, Tell Out My Soul, is a paraphrase of this song of Mary, sometimes also called the Magnificat. So if you were to go into any sort of uh, musical collection and do a search for uh, Magnificat, you would come up with hundreds and thousands of, of entries of different pieces of music that have been written over the centuries 
with this, these words in mind. And so why are these words important? These are the words that she spoke when she met her cousin Elizabeth. Mary had just taken part in the Annunciation where the, the angel Gabriel came and announced God's plan to her, where she said yes to God's plan for the, for the salvation of mankind. And she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who is an older woman, older than normal childbearing years, and yet is in the sixth month of her own pregnancy. And so the two women greet each other, and the babe in St. Elizabeth's womb leaps for joy when she hears the sound of Mary's voice, the greeting of Mary. And this song, this song of Mary, is a song of hope, it's a song of love, it's a song of expectation. You can feel the expectation in it. And imagine these two expectant mothers who are waiting out the time for their children to be born and perhaps wondering what they're going to be like, what they're going to contribute to the world. I'm sure Mary had some idea, but there's no way she could have ever, I think, contemplated the gravity of what she was doing. Remember the the disciples all throughout their, their ministry always fell short of understanding exactly what Jesus' plan was for them. I'm sure she had more of an insight being his mother, but still, to grasp the eternal implications of what God was doing through her would be incredible. And so we have, instead of a story about her going to sleep or her dying or uh, being reunified with her son in heaven, we sing this song as our ancestors have sung for 2,000 years now across time, across cultures. In the face of darkness, in the face of evil, in the face of things that you would think were closing in on us, this song of hope and joy and expectation and the power of God to turn things around stays with us. Think about the time when Mary lived. She lived in an occupied land. Uh, The people longed for a time to return to their glory. And they looked for a Messiah, a one who would come. And God sent his son, that light which the darkness could not comprehend, that light that was from before time and creation, made flesh made part of time and creation, partaking of his own creation. And so let us give thanks for the wonderful example and witness and ministry of St. Mary, both her time on earth as Jesus' mother and now as she lives with him in heaven, reunited. And let us have hope and joy that through her example we always are pointed toward her son that's her greatest her greatest mission in life is to always point us toward god and so in going home to be with her son she shows us the way she paves that way for us once again to join him and so while we live on this earth let us give thanks to god in the words 
that she has so wonderfully given to us. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm and scattered the prouds, proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and his seed forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.